Good morning. It's good to see all of you out this morning. We're glad that you're here with us. Our lesson for this morning is a continuation of our series on the church at the crossroads. And we've been talking this month about the church and how there are many changes that are being made in different congregations and what changes are right and what changes are wrong. And tonight or today we're going to look at worship and how there have been changes made to worship and what is right, what is authorized by Scripture, what can we do. When we look at the world, and especially as far as the church is concerned, we see that there are many changes that take place within the church when we downplay our differences. When we look at denominations especially, when we look at, at those that practice and teach and worship differently than we do, we see that many changes occur when we downplay these differences. When we seek fellowship with those not teaching and or preaching the truth or practicing the truth, we also want to be like them. And that's probably one of the worst things that, that we have to deal with in the church today. Much can be told about a congregation by the way they worship in regard to their soundness and following biblical authority. Many changes occur within worship because someone thinks or feels that this is what pleases God rather than simply doing what He said. And we have to ask the question, does the church have the right or the authority to change what God has given us? Our lesson objectives for this morning's lesson is to learn what the Bible teaches regarding worship of God and to choose which way we will go, God's way or man's way. We're going to look first at additions to worship, things that have been added not only in denominations but in the church, uh, in the churches of Christ. We see many congregations that have added different elements that the scriptures do not authorize. So let's look at additions to worship. First of all, let's look at our singing. Our singing has been modified in, in many congregations. Let's look at the command. Let's look at what God's word has to tell us about our singing. Ephesians chapter 5. We'll begin with verse 17. Read the context of Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19. Ephesians 5 verse 17. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, it says this, But the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs 
singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. First of all, let's look at how we are commanded to sing. We are commanded to sing and make melody in our hearts. And keep in mind that whenever we look at these passages, not only are they speaking to the Ephesians and the Colossians, those in which they were written, but they're also speaking to all Christians. When we read something in the letters, in the epistles, we're told to hold to the apostles' doctrine. And so we do so. So this is speaking to us. This is speaking to all of us. We are commanded to sing and make melody in our hearts to the Lord. We are also to employ the use of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. There is a difference between each of these. Uh, I think it was Brother Jeff that, that enlightened me on that one. But each one of these has a particular meaning. Psalms. Psalms. Whenever we look at the psalms that are written in the book of Psalms, or even elsewhere in Scripture, different psalms that we find in the Bible that are set to music, those would be the psalms that we sing today. Hymns are in reference to our prayers to God, in reference to our speaking to Him. We do so in hymns. Most of our prayer songs are hymns. And mostly, as far as, as songs are concerned, everything else would fall under the spiritual songs category. The exception would be those songs that are not biblical in nature, and there are a few of those in, in our songbooks that are not true to God's Word. So we have to be very careful of the messages that we sing. But each one of these is different, and each one of these is to be used in our singing. We understand from Scripture that we are to sing with spirit and understanding. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 15. But we are to sing. One of the changes that we notice in worship today is instrumental music has been added to the worship services. Instrumental music is an unwelcome addition to what we have been given authority for. If we can follow the command that we are given without using instruments, then we should not be using them. Using musical instruments in worship is going beyond the authority of the Scriptures. Now there are certain things that aid us in our singing. Things that are authorized in that way because they help us to sing to God. Our songbooks, for instance, those are an aid in which we are able to use them to, to sing the same thing. And there are other ways too. We don't have to use songbooks. Um, there's a, a tradition way back when when uh, there was a group of people that, that couldn't read. They were illiterate. And so a song leader would sing a song and they would do what we call lining. So the song leader would sing a line and then the rest of the congregation would repeat that line. That's another way of singing. That's an, a way of following God's command. Songbooks help us in that way. 
In the same way, if we were to use PowerPoint to put a song on a screen, then we could use that as an aid for our scene. Those are additions that are okay because they help us. Use of a, a pitch pipe or a pitch fork or a tuning fork, I guess is the, the better name for it. But those things also help us to get the right pitch and to sing in the right way. But instruments do not aid us in our singing at all. And that's why we have no authority for them. We can't have musical instruments in our worship because they do not aid our ability to sing to God. When we sing, we are to sing with our lips, with our hearts. And it's something that all Christians are commanded to participate in. There have also been additions in the category of special music. Choirs, praise teams, soloists, those kinds of things. And many are not quite ready to fight the battle with instrumental music and so they begin with these different groups. And again, we have to look at what we've been commanded to do. All of us have been commanded to sing and so do they help us? Do choirs and special groups help us to sing, to carry out the command that God has given us to sing with our hearts, with our lips? They do not. As a matter of fact, oftentimes these groups hinder our singing because we're tempted to listen rather than participate. Special music of any type goes beyond the authority of the scriptures. Singing is probably one of the most recognized things that has been changed in regard to worship. But there are other changes as well. Things that we see more prevalent, more prevalent, prevalently, there we go, than we used to years ago. Look at drama and effects. The authorized acts of worship are singing, preaching, prayer, partaking of the Lord's Supper, and giving of our means to God's service. Since dramatizations, skits, and plays are absent from biblical authority, they are not to be used in the worship services. Just yesterday, I, I saw where someone had posted something from their congregation. And I watched the video, and, and I'll admit it, was, it looked nice, but at first I thought it was high school musical. That's the kind of thing that is entering into worship services today, and that's something that we have to be aware of. Skits of various kinds are often employed in Bible classes and VBSs, and I can think of several that we have done even here at Mars Hill in our VBSs. Different skits that we've used to present a certain message. Things of this nature are up to the leadership of a congregation as to whether to use them or not. 
but they are not to be used in the worship service. And that's something that we have to differentiate from. We have to understand that, that whenever we have VBSs and things of that nature, and special things for kids, that it's not something that is a part of the worship service. When we come together into the assembly to worship God, we cannot go beyond the five acts that we've been given in Scripture. And certainly these things do. I've also read of things where congregations are using special lighting and things of that nature. Those things do not aid us in our worship. And even more so could be distracting to what God wants us to do. So we have to be very careful of how we would use these and not use them in worship. Another big change that we notice is the use of female worship leaders. Let's look at the command that we've been given in Scripture. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, beginning with verse 34. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34. Paul writes to the Corinthians, Let your women keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home. For it is shameful for women to speak in church. And he concludes that section of scripture in verse 40. Let all things be done decently and in order. Now, we're not left with just the command, but we are given reason for the command. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2, a read of similar. 1 Timothy chapter 2, and beginning with verse 8, and we'll read through verse 15. 1 Timothy 2, verse 8. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Because man was formed first, God wants him to lead the assembly in worship. One thing that was pointed out to me several years ago is that we often tend to focus on the women learning in silence. And we kind of miss the point of what's being said. People are offended by these verses. But again, we miss the point. You see, this is more about males assuming the leadership role in worship, and not only worship, but also in the family. 
it's more about their leadership than it is about prohibiting women to lead in worship. God wants us men to step up to the plate and to lead. And when we are not leading in the way that God wants us to, and we are not pleasing to Him. Now there are occasions where it would be permissible for a woman to lead in worship. If no males are present, women are allowed to lead other women without going beyond the authority of the Scriptures. Such as in, as in the case of ladies' days, whenever a congregation will host a ladies' day, women will lead in worship. And in the rare occasion that there may be a congregation of all females, that would be okay as well. And I have heard of a congregation that was made up of females like that. And if a male were to walk in, he would either have to lead in the worship, all of it, or he would have to be asked to leave in order to be right under the authority of scriptures. But in those rare occasions, it would be permissible. Now there are other practices that we find in congregations around us that we are not given authority for. Things that we need to avoid. Such as the dedicating of babies. When we look at a ceremony such as this, it appears alright on the surface. But again, we don't have biblical authority to have something like that in a worship service. Its roots are in denominations. And instead of sprinkling or baptizing infants, as is the case in many churches, a ceremony, or ceremony of parental dedication to God has been added to the services, maybe on a monthly basis or on a quarterly basis or something of that nature. But it's something that has been added that we do not have authority for and it's something that we have to be very careful of. Whatever we do not have authority for, it cannot be added to our worship services. Another one that we have to be careful of, lifting of hands. A moment ago, there was a, a verse that, that came up in verse 8, in 1 Timothy chapter 8. It said, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And many will use this scripture to say that, that it's scripturally found to lift up hands during worship or in prayer. But the use of lifting up holy hands was not about physically lifting hands in that way. But it was the idea of lifting up a pure life, a pure heart whenever we come and worship to God. The lifting of hands has roots in denominationalism as well. And it raises the question that we ask in, in looking at the authority of scriptures. Does it aid in doing or in worshiping decently and in order? Does it help us in our worship? I think a lot of times, at least from my perspective of it, I think it creates confusion. I have been in worship services and I have, have seen where people lift up hands during the worship. And I think it, it 
it is kind of confusing. Is it okay to do it in, in this congregation? Or is it not? Is it something that the elders are pleased with? Is it not? It's one that we do not have authority for. And again, it's something that elders have to watch out for. But we have to ask that question, does it aid in our worship? And I don't know that it does. I don't know that it helps us to carry out that command decently and in order. But it is something for each congregation to decide. And in the same way with hand clapping. Whenever we look at, at hand clapping during the worship service, whether it be in use of the singing or even after something within the worship service, such as a baptism or, or things of that nature, hand clapping is something that we look at and some people will use it because instruments are not authorized. When we sing, we can't use instruments, so we'll just clap our hands. And that's something that is difficult to, to decide on. Is it something that the scriptures permit, or is it not? Kirk made a very good point a few years ago in, in dealing with hand clapping and the services at the manor. And Kirk, I hope you don't mind me using this example. There was a congregation that was coming in and hosting services, and, and they used hand clapping in the service. And when Kurt talked to them about their use of hand clapping, he brought up a good point. It's not about whether we agree or disagree on the issue of hand clapping, but the problem comes when it causes division. And that was a problem within the church that was meeting at Stunger Manor. It was causing division among the members and so he asked that the congregation not use that and eventually the congregation ceased from hosting services there. But more often than not, hand clapping creates division in a congregation between those who approve and those who disapprove. And for that reason alone, I believe that it's something that we should avoid so as not to cause problems between members. But again, it's something that elders have to look at in their own congregations. And it's something that they have to decide on. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10 says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you per be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. It is difficult to be perfectly joined together when we are at odds on how to worship. Mark 9 and verse 42 says, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck. And he were thrown into the sea. Again, this is something that we have to be very careful on how we worship under God's authority. Something else that I've noticed that is coming up in worship services today, personal testimonies of different kinds. People get up and tell their story of how they became a child of God or how they gave their life to Christ. This also has roots in denominationalism. And again, just as it is the case with many other things, there is no authority given for this type of thing in the worship service. 
I'm sure it has a place and I'm sure that it can be good for many people. But the worship service is not the place for these types of testimonies. Before we close our lesson, let's look at subtractions from the worship service as well. Additions are, are something that are very common, but subtractions from the worship are also equal, equally as common. In the Lord's Supper, we see that many congregations have reduced or taken out altogether the communion with the Lord. Let's look at its institution. In Mark chapter 14, before his betrayal, arrest, and crucifixion, Jesus implemented the Lord's Supper with his disciples. Mark 14, verses 22 through 25, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. As we read about the first century church in Acts chapter 2, verses 41 and 42, we read this. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, read this. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. As the disciples participated in the Lord's Supper every first day of the week, so are Christians to follow this example. Why would we seek to change what has been done for so long? But many churches, mostly larger, have taken the Lord's Supper out of their first Sunday assembly, relegating it to monthly or quarterly observance. Many only see it necessary for only holidays such as Easter and Christmas. Some have added to services other than the first day of the week, Lord's Supper. I think of Catholicism that uses the Lord's Supper almost any time they gather. Funerals and weddings and all kinds of different things. But that's not what we're given authority for. You see, what we're given authority for is to participate in the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week, Lord's Day. When we gather on the first day of the week, we may participate in the Lord's Supper together, and we should. Another thing that we see absent from many worship services today is reverence for God. Many no longer hold God in reverence as they should. Something that, that puzzled me some years ago. I remember flipping through a few channels on TV and came across a preacher and, and didn't watch very long. But what I did, I remember the preacher mentioned this. He said, whenever you pray, whenever you pray to God, call him daddy. 
Treat him like your daddy. And that bothered me. It bothered me then. And it bothers me now. Whenever we call God daddy or any other reference that we might use for him, I believe it takes out of the reverence from God. We need to hold him in high regard. We are to have a, a close relationship with God and we see Jesus is often referred to as our friend. But to refer to him in a way like this seems to remove that reverence. And it's something that we should avoid. Often I've heard of, of people that have attended worship services with family members or friends in an effort to be kind and, and to be a good example to them. And they'll often come away from those worship services and say things like, well, you know, I, I thought it was more like a, a concert or a party. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28 says this, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. To do anything that takes away from holding God in high regard and in reverence is something that should not be in the services. There are other practices that we need to be aware of in the church. Watered down preaching, not including book, chapter, and verse. Those things are important. We need to preach from God's Word. We often see... Uh, larger congregations dividing their services into a contemporary or a traditional worship service that they differentiate between the two. Maybe they have both or either or. Some congregations use instruments in special services or uh, one of two on Sunday. These things create division and these things should be avoided. Something that I'm wary of are special groups on Sunday evenings and, and there may not be anything wrong with them but I think it's something that we have to be very careful of. Elders are to have authority over the flock and know what is being practiced and taught. And I think it's difficult for them to do that in small group settings unless there's an elder present in each one. Can they know what's going on within the congregation? I think that's difficult to say. But it's something to be very careful of. And it is up to, to the leadership of each congregation. And something that, that causes a, a lot of, of tension is celebration of holidays as a congregation. It, it's something that bothers some and, and it doesn't bother others. I think there are ways to do it and there are ways in which it should be refrained from. Brother Jeff had one of the greatest lessons I've ever heard on Christmas and how we should observe Christmas. And... and we don't necessarily have to take out the manger scenes and things of that nature. But it's something that each person has to decide. It's something that each congregation has to decide on. I've also heard of problems whenever some visit a congregation and see a Christmas tree or see the building in some way decorated. Personally, I feel that it shouldn't be in the auditorium. Otherwise, I, I really don't have a problem with decorations of, of that type. 
but there are some that do. One thing that we have to be careful of is that we are not to put the observance of special days above the special day of all Christians, the Lord's Day. We continue to observe the Lord's Day. We continue to meet and do those things that God is pleased with. Again, those things are up to the leadership of the congregation. Ultimately, we have to ask our question, ourselves a question. Is what we do in our worship services in accordance with the authority of the Bible? Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19. And I have heard that, that this is in re reference to the book of Revelation only. I believe that the same way that we look at the book of Revelation is the same way that we should look at all scriptures. But it says this in Revelation 22 and verse 18. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Ultimately, Christians cannot supersede the authority of the scriptures and still remain faithful. I hope that you take this in the way that it's meant to be presented. I hope that you take it in love because that's the way that I'm giving it. I hope that, that you've not been offended, but if there is something that you have a question on, please feel free to ask. But there are many things that, that we may look at and we may ask questions about to make sure, we need to make sure as a congregation that we decide to follow the authority of God and only the authority of God. It is not up to us to, to say whether something is right or not. It's up to God to say it. And He has said it by giving us what He wants. The question is, are we following His authority? Are we doing His will in our worship? And in all aspects of our lives, are we doing the will of God? I don't know where you stand this morning. Maybe you're a Christian, maybe you're not. Maybe you need to obey the gospel. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to come back and rededicate your life to Him. But if there is some need in your life, if there's something that we can help you with today, and as you come, as together we stand, as we sing.